47? <laughs> this is episode 144, and welcome to Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight, thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, gear maintenance, and I, I kind of just ran this by Ben, uh, semi-sort of last second, and honestly, what I was envisioning, and I, Ben knows a lot of different gear than I would too, but I'm thinking if you're a little newer to bushcrafting or woodscrafting or just being in the woods or maybe you've been into it for a few years but you're not 100% sure on how to take care of some of your basic gear, we could go over some of the things that um, would consist of legitimately basic gear. We'll try and get into a couple specific things that have a, a few little nuances like I know ones that I want to talk about Ben a little bit. Uh, snowshoes because a lot of people don't uh, maintain their snowshoes properly. At least give them a check over you know what to look for. Uh, sleeping bags because that's kind of a big one that I get a question about all the time. Uh, tents, tarps, things like that and uh, I I'm sure you got a few that you want to chat about as well too Ben that kind of are near and dear to your heart. Yeah, I got a, a few. I got a few examples, possibly, too, of things that not do that I've definitely done. So uh, we'll get into it. Uh, what was the first thing you had up there was snowshoes? Yeah, so snowshoes was one of the things I just wanted to kind of chat about because it's that time of year and potentially tonight we may be getting a little bit of snow. It popped into mine and actually Mel mentioned it. Uh, there is a little bit of maintenance you can do with your snowshoes. And I mean, it, it's not difficult maintenance and none of this is difficult maintenance. A lot of it is just maybe you didn't think of it. Maybe you don't know what you need to look for kind of dealio. And for snowshoes for me, what I like to do is I, uh, and it's going to sound like a no-brainer So those of you that are on a little more familiar with this just bear with us <laughs> but if you're not perhaps maybe you're new to snowshoeing it's hard to say you got to check all the webbing in between regardless if it's a solid plastic piece or if it's like stitch webbing uh metal webbing just make sure it's all intact nothing's coming frayed out nothing's chunked off because oh it might have worked great last year or somebody sold them to you or you picked them up that way and things are good and you're walking out through the woods you hit that one weird rock or piece of ice and now all of a sudden you fall through your snowshoes and i have done this um in experience <laughs> i had uh, it was a pair of net snowshoes is what it was just a metal frame i might have showed them here in a past episode metal frame and it's just a pulled net that went over the metal frame and some ropes put on it very basic homemade snowshoes used them for a long time but the netting was starting to get a little worn in them wasn't really taking the best care of them didn't check them out just always threw them on packing off and went got about seven kilometers back in the woods and that's when they decided to break and it sucked trying to walk out and honestly, all I had to do was give it a little check over. If I had some zip ties, I probably could have put it together, but I didn't know enough to take some in case something happened. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The webbing, for sure, 100%. Um, the other thing is the bindings. Uh, you really want to give them a good check over because it's easy to miss. And next thing you know, you can't keep them on your feet because the binding lets go, and all of a sudden, it won't stay on. I mean, most of mine have a just a rubber tube with a hole cut in it and you just stick your, your feet in that and slip, put it down. And if that rubber starts to get dry rot or whatever, uh, it might hold for a few minutes, but when you go out next thing you know, once it starts to rip, it's pretty well a catastrophic failure. And all of a sudden it just completely disintegrates. Um, and they're, they're useless. It's not a hard repair. It's literally cutting another piece of rubber, the same size and shape and tying a couple of strings through the proper points. Uh, Easy to do at home. Five, six minutes work, honestly. Uh, Could save but, you hours of hard trekking. But yeah, like you, I mean, it hasn't happened to me probably that often. But I have been in the woods with snowshoes that failed or didn't work the way they are expected to. And I don't know if there's anything worse than walking it with one good snowshoe. <laughs> it's kind of almost a weird hop. Like you get one good foothold and then it's you're sunk on the other one and it's fighting. And you would, it, it's so exhausting, honestly. And I, all I can remember from that entire experience was I wish I had to check that over. Uh, and I guess the last thing to check would be the actual frame of your snowshoe, whatever that is. Make sure it's still in good working shape. But the big one for me was literally like the webbing. And as you said, you know, whatever your restraining device happens to be there. If it's one of the fancier ones with quick ratcheting straps and stuff like that, they're great as long as they work. If it's the rubber, like Ben said, dry rot, perfect thing. I was thinking leather. I have one that was leather and it dried out and it cracked away and same kind of dealy though. But the big thing is just give it a look over. And a lot of this is going to fall into that category, but honestly, it's just remembering to give it a look over. And that's the only reason I want to touch on snowshoes, because some people may be reaching for them tomorrow. It's hard to say. 
Yeah. And I guess it's just because you mentioned it, it's great. It's a great topic. You mentioned the leather because right? a lot of good bushcrafting gear is made of leather. Uh, you know, especially, and I want to use the word belts, but any kind of straps with the, the buckle system in it, um, a lot of pouches, uh, some kind of bindings for your snowshoes, uh, backpacks, you name it. There's sheaths. A, lot of leather. a lot of sheaths for axes, knives, things like that. All those things, great examples. And the problem with leather, if there is a problem with leather, is if it gets wet, it tends to get very soft and uh, can distort or become uh, stretched uh, and, and won't perform as, as intended. So the best way to protect your leather is to keep it dry and to keep it supple. And you do that with a good leather conditioning oil uh, or, or waxes. Just find something that's meant for leather and you rub that in good. I, a lot of my leather gear, I mean, I, me and you both motorcycle. I'm sure we mm -hmm. both have leather motorcycle gear. Same deal. I get the mink oil or whatever tonight or Dublin or whatever. And I get a light coat on that maybe once or twice a year. Anything that's leathered, I use at least once or twice a year and on condition. So if it's been out and got harder use, it obviously gets treated more often. And if it doesn't get out, out, it only gets the one or twice a year conditioning. But that makes a good piece of leather gear last from, you know, one or two years to potentially a lifetime. And it's, it's all it takes. Not hard work. Not at all. And it's funny you mentioned bank oil. Uh, for like my racing suit and stuff like that for the motorcycle, I just use some sort of store-bought weather conditioner. And that'll work great for 99% of weather. Uh, now, Ben mentioned the mink oil. That's actually one of my go-tos for any of my nice sheaths or anything that potentially could be sitting on the ground. Now, I was told this way back when. I don't know if there's any truth to it. It's just stuck in my head, and this is why I use mink oil. I've heard if you do a little searching and you find real mink oil, uh, it'll actually deter a lot of rodents from chewing on leather items. That's. A, I hope that's true. I don't. I've never had reason not to believe it. Uh, and honestly, where I have to, you know, reseal the leather and uh, all that anyway, I just always went with the mink oil and I've never really had like a whole lot of problems with, uh, my leather products getting chewed if they're in storage or if I'm in the woods for a long period of time. I mean, you mentioned that, uh, once upon a, was it this year or last year? I can't remember, but you were in Kedji and you had a small, uh, amount of rodents running around you guys. Uh, yeah. and it, it doesn't take much. And I mean, weather is nothing more than hide off some animal, right? If it's true weather, like real weather. And it, it tends to get nibbled on by rodents quite frequently, uh, when items are in storage or if they're anywhere in the woods for any amount of time. So it was just something I always went for. I like mink oil. Uh, the smell is something you either like or hate. I've never actually seen anything in between. I enjoy the smell of it or it doesn't bother me. I should say at least, and yeah, I've always gone for the mink oil for any kind of sheath that goes in the woods. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's probably covers a, a lot of stuff. Like if you have leather, treat it properly. I mean, if you can keep it dry, keep it clean. If it doesn't get, get dirty or wet, dry it off as quickly as possible, wipe it down. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot of care to keep the leather in really good condition, but that little bit of care and time means that that sheath can last you a lifetime or it can last you a year like i've you know i've destroyed sheaths and other leather, leather objects in much shorter time than i should have due to just improper maintenance not even trying to take care of it um now on the flip side of that uh you had mentioned at one point if they get wet they stretch uh yeah. and if they tend not to be treated they'll shrink and they'll grow hard now to a degree, you can reshape leather if you need to, to, once again, I'm saying to a degree, depending on the leather and stuff like that. If it's shrunk a little bit, you can rehydrate it, soak it in water, um, put it in the applicable shape. So a lot of times with knife sheaths, you would actually like put the knife sheath in it, or sorry, the knife in the sheath. And then if you have some foam, you can reclamp it to reshape and stuff like that. Look that up on YouTube. I'm not going to give you a step-by-step -step on that because depending on what the leather and stuff is, um, there's different methods to go about it, but if you do have a leather sheath of any kind or any kind of real weather pouch or something like that, and it's just kind of wonky, went out of shape on you, definitely do a little YouTube searching and you can see how to potentially get that back into working condition for you. Uh, is it going to work every single time? Depends on how far gone the weather is. Uh, but you may be able to salvage something 
instead of just turfing it and looking for somebody to make a new one. But that's something you can find out as you're doing your maintenance and your gear inspections. But, um, not so much for reshaping. Leather is one of my favorite products. To, even if I have like a damaged leather jacket, I'll often save the leather because it's usable for so many other things later. Um, and if it does get a little dried and cracked, that oil can bring it back and make it last a lot. Like if you can oftentimes salvage leather. Um, you mentioned reshaping uh, new leather products. Oftentimes, take boots. Um, when I was in the joined the reserves, the first thing one of the guys told me, and I don't know if the military agrees with this as a whole, but at least individuals would, is you take those leather boots. Before you treat them, before you polish them or anything, you go walk in, like, up to your knees in water and then walk around with them for a day wet. Yep. And then you let them dry, and they're going to get a little hard. They're going to look crusty. Don't worry about it. And then you, you, uh, you treat them then when you polish them with the leather polish and all that. And they will form to your feet, and they'll be the most comfortable boots you ever have. But when you put them on, they probably will not be comfortable. And they, a lot of guys actually got them, like, tight. You you bought the boots or you, you received the boots had an issue, I guess a size smaller than you probably would have otherwise. And it meant you ended up with a more comfortable fit. Mm. Leather will form to your feet. Any good leather boot will form to your feet. And so you don't want them too loose because then they'll never form. So, And that's a good point too. We used to do something very similar uh, when I was, you know, wildland firefighting, get a new set of boots. You know, you're going to be hiking around through bad conditions on those suckers for long extended periods of time. So hopefully you get your new boots early in the season before anything craps out, get them damp, wear them for a day. Uh, I used to like to try and dry mine slower. I found if I dried them slower, they didn't get quite as crusty and then wear them for a second day, and that kind of finished drying them out and finished molding them to your feet, and then on the third day is when I'd treat them. So very similar process, and I had completely forgotten all about that until you mentioned it. And oh, yeah. Man. It's a method, right? Um, so it's, it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, leather has its own treatment, and when you get a leather product, look up the manufacturer. They'll oftentimes give you some, some helpful hints and, and suggestions, and uh, it's always worth following their rules or their their direction if they built it they probably know more about it than you know two random guys on the internet <laughs> oh for sure and steve says skates and we have tara scout joining us as well uh and they mentioned with wool socks so yeah if you plan on wearing wool socks a lot while you're in these boots definitely wear the wool socks that way they'll shape to whatever and if you're reshaping anything this way try and shape it to the way it's going to be used so if it's boots Wear the socks you're going to wear. If you're normally going to wear wool socks, don't wear tube socks. It's not going to work out good, and vice versa. Uh, if you're trying to reshape a knife sheath, don't use a knife that's too big or too small. Use the knife that's going to go into it. Uh, may mean you have to dip your blade in oil so you don't get any rust on it and stuff like that, but we'll talk about that later. But yeah, use it the way it was intended to be used. It'll go a lot further than trying to make something that is going to be close to how it's going to be used. Because close is never exactly the same. It'd be like somebody else trying to break your boots in for you. Yeah. Sounds great in theory. Doesn't work in practicality. <laughs> yeah. Chances of finding some of the boots or feet that are exactly the same as you, pretty slim. It's slim. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess you kind of brought up another topic if you want like wool i mean i'm mm. not a wool expert by any stretch of the mean uh but again the same idea you know keep it um keep it dry keep it clean um because if you leave it damp wool tends to in my opinion get very moldy uh very musky it can get musky real quick yeah. especially if it's real wool like real sheep's wool i find that stuff gets musty really really quick I left a couple of uh, wool blankets in the basement. I mean, it's not an overly damp basement, but I've left them down here in the basement. And after a few months, I picked them up, and they they had a, a slight odor to them. And I had metal bottle uh, snaps put on it, and every one corroded. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was so it sort of attracts moisture, in my opinion. And you kind of need to to keep make sure it stays dry. And it doesn't take much. Put it out in the sun for a few hours. I'll generally drive the moisture out or throw them in a dryer if you have to. I was going to say, if you throw them in the dryer, make sure it's tumble dry. <laughs> if you try and put it on high heat, for instance, your nice big blanket all of a sudden becomes a handkerchief. So just keep an eye, 
keep that in mind. <laughs> hey, Chris, yeah. thanks for joining us. Glad you could catch a, a show. It's been a while since you've been on. Chris Loveless just jumped in the comments there too, Ben. Oh, sweet. Uh, hey, Chris. But yeah, so wool definitely. Uh, I, I never even thought of wool, and I have a wool blanket literally sitting next to me here. Uh, yeah, and like Ben said, easiest way for that, flip it around a little. Dig it out, get some air into it, circulate it around. Uh, I don't personally, uh, when I wash them, I wash them with a very mild detergent. I don't use fabric softeners, and I'll generally hang dry mine outside. So, you know, spilling the beans a little bit here. My wool blankets generally only get washed with outside drying weather. <laughs> I tend not to wash them as much in the winter, which is... In the winter, I'm using them as additional heat, as we're in the spring and fall, I could potentially be using them as my main blanket, so it's not as bad as it sounds, honestly. No, no, and maybe, I mean, if some of these seem to be rolling right into one another. Uh, wool blankets, obviously sleeping, uh, want to roll right in the sleeping bag. Yeah, and it was one of the big ones that was near and dear to my heart, only because I've done some really dumb things with sleeping bags, trying to maintain them. Uh, and the big one that, of course, I get questioned a lot, and which I've been guilty of, is can you put your sleeping bag in the washer? And the answer is, it depends, but as a general rule of thumb, I would try to avoid it. A lot of synthetics, specifically, they'll clump. They never really fluff back up, and now all of a sudden your sleeping bag that might have a, you know, a rating of minus 18 or something like that just dropped to, like, 5 degrees. Or yeah. went up to five degrees. Trevor, we want to say you lost a ton of thermal value because you took all that fluff and went, <laughs> and now it's nothing. And I've done this. I, I've uh, I used to buy sleeping bags used, and I thought I'll just run them through the washer. Then they're clean, things are good, and the bags always came out lumpy. And I'm like, these sleeping bags are terrible. And the last couple I got are all the same. What's going on here? Did a little investigating, found out not always the best option. Now, that being said, there are some sleeping bags you can wash in the washer. Big thing, like Ben said earlier, check the manufacturer. They'll give you ideas on how to maintain and clean these things. Uh, a really good thing, get yourself a sleeping bag liner. And then you can wash that, and it keeps like all your dirt and grime and stuff off your sleeping bag anyway. And then you don't have to wash them as often. I have a couple sleeping bags I take in for dry cleaning, uh, which everybody's like, oh, you're dry cleaning a sleeping bag. Yours fancy. But the reality is I just want it to work. You know what I mean? It just turned out well. And that's the reality for a couple of the bags I have is they have to be dry cleaned. Dry cleaned only or steam cleaned only. Um, and anyway, once they're washed uh, or if they get damp, you can put them in the dryer. But it's the same kind of thing. It's low heat. Tumble dry is the best option. I think you've said in the past, Ben, you can potentially put tennis balls or something like that in to potentially regain some loft. Oh, yeah. Um my one tigers when we first got it uh because it was packed for so long um it never had the loft that it probably should have and the solution to that was literally to throw it in a dryer again low heat tumble dry type deal uh with we used a whole bunch of tennis balls but i've also heard tennis shoes or or a couple of pairs of boots something lumpy large and lumpy enough that it's kind of going to beat on your sleeping bag and what that does is breaks the clumps up and it probably would work with synthetic too over time just that that beating in the air blowing around it would would break those clumps up and give the loft back and that's what you want but i think you hit on the, the real key solution here and you mentioned like the liners so definitely for the inside a liner um wearing you know clean pajamas or lined underwear whatever you want like to, to keep as much of your flesh off of the sleeping bag as possible does make the sleeping bag last a lot longer it keeps it in better shape there's no better your sweat and your you know your your oils and stuff in your body aren't getting into the sleeping bag and making it dirty and smell and stuff stuff so you're protecting it. and the other same thing goes for the outside giving your protect your sleeping bag some kind of protection so a good ground sheet and keeping that ground sheet relatively clean, uh, as clean as possible. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be huge, just big enough for your sleeping bag to go on. Um, little things like that to keep your sleeping bag cleaner longer means the cleanings in the washing machine are minimized. And that just means they're going to last longer. Um, so that is the solution. And, you know, it, 
will get to a point where it gets dirty enough that you really have no choice but to come up with some solution to clean it. And the methods you mentioned are, are good. Uh, if you have to clean it in the washing machine, follow the instructions to the best of your ability and, you know, keep, keep that to a minimum. Yeah, because I, I do find, regardless of the sleeping bag, washing machine tends to shorten their life severely. Uh, and something you mentioned was keeping, like, your body oils and stuff like that out of it. Not only for the cleanliness, it can also do the exact same thing as putting it in the washer. Uh, the oils will bond to whatever your fluff agent is inside, be it down or synthetics, and it will start making them compress and stick together. As things stick together, uh, as Chris asked here in the comments, it's going to start losing air value. Because what really gives something air value is the air space it can trap in between it. That's why, you know, for the longest time, down was the gold standard, and to a lot of people still is. Some synthetics are now saying that they're just as good or better, blah, 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 blah. But whatever your belief is, the, the whole tree, or the whole trick is you have to have trapped air. If you can trap air in there and then warm that air up, that's what keeps you warm. That's why when you lay on a sleeping bag... Uh, or lay in a sleeping bag, I should say. Like, everything around you, up top and over you, tends to stay warm, and whatever you're laying on, unless it's something that has some thermal value of it all, its own, tends to get cold. Because you're compressing everything down under you, any coldness just cuts right through it. You don't have that, you know, pocket of air. Um, and I guess the other thing is proper storage of your sleeping bags when you're not using them. A lot of people leave their sleeping bags stored in the stuff sack or something like that, which if that's what you got to do, great, but make sure you don't crush it down to as small as it can absolutely go. Open it up, try and give it as much room to breathe as you absolutely can. I actually like to hang my sleeping bag. So I have an office here. I'm privileged enough that I have a little space I can put all my junk in. I keep my sleeping bags just hung. Uh, that's generally the recommended way to store a sleeping bag for any amount of time by 90% of manufacturers, honestly. So if you can get to it, hang them. Yeah, and a lot of them will have loops on the, the bottom, and that's their intent, so you can hang them upside down. Yep. Uh, if you can't do that, what I've often done, I still do. Actually, mine's behind me. I can see it in the, the picture. Uh, that orange bag back there, that's a laundry bag, mesh, large laundry bag. It's about five times bigger than the store stuff that, that that sleeping bag normally fits in. And I just sit it there, so it's kind of lofted all the time. And I'll hang that in the basement down here. Uh, and just keep an eye on it. Um, and that's that works good too. Um, but yeah, you don't want to keep a sleeping bag crushed because if you do, that's where it tends to want to be. It wants to stay crushed. And then it, it just won't give you the lock you want. And then you'll be disappointed with it. And you'll say, this sleeping bag's garbage. And it's not garbage. It's a perfectly good sleeping bag. You mistreated it. And yeah, uh, exactly. So the, I guess while we're talking sleeping bags, the last two things I would mention on them, or three things, I guess, is uh, any before you go out, and I do this with all my sleeping bags, or before I put them in any kind of storage or take them out of storage, which I know sounds a lot of redundancy here, but it's just my habit. I give a quick check of all the seams that are stitched. Make sure nothing's busting open so you don't lose that uh, insulation and things like that. I give the zipper a quick check. Uh, I like to take a piece of wax paper and just run over the zipper. The tiny bit of wax that you'll get off the wax paper will actually lubricate the zipper and keep them from sticking and stuff like that. A lot of people complain about sticking zippers. Uh, as long as it's not actually choking the material, and what I mean by that is like when you zip it up, it pulls a little piece of material into it, which unfortunately no amount of wax is going to cure. Uh, but if it's just literally the zipper itself being a little sticky, a little bit of wax goes a long way. And I mean, you could use candle wax, paraffin wax, whatever you want. Just give it a, a little light coating off it. It'll make it uh, work. Ten times better, but I find wax paper, especially if it's already, like, just as a maintaining thing, which is, you know, our topic. Just grab a sheet, up both sides, open and close the zipper a few times, and, I mean, that goes a long, long way of that zicker, zipper. Oh, man, I'm stumbling on my words tonight. On that zipper um, being lubricated, working properly, not binding, uh, and not rusting out on you which is something else, potentially, if a little bit of moisture gets in your gear, it can happen, depending on uh, the quality of your sleeping bag, if it's plastic-coated or not. Uh, yeah. So Chris asks, how's WD-40 on zippers for sleeping bags? Um, if you can get it just on the zipper, and if the zipper is, like, bare metal, probably work fine. You might get a little residual uh, smell there. Uh, if you spray it directly on your run, of course, the risk of getting WD-40 on your sleeping bag, if that don't bother you, then... I, I don't see it being a big deal. Uh, the, the only thing I would think 
is some materials I don't know how WD-40 would react with. Of course, it's going to, you know, bind with the wafting inside stuff, but just taking the outer material into account, um, just make sure it doesn't react. And Steve mentions he's always used graphite pencil uh, on zippers, and that's another great one. Uh, I, I just always used wax paper, you know. Uh, graphite uh, pencil is awesome for metal zippers for sure. I'm not as sure on the plastics, but what will work on good on plastics is actually chapstick. Yep. And it's really easy to apply. So it's a softer wax, essentially. So things like that. Um, a spray WD-40, I would be a little hesitant to do. Just it wouldn't be my go-to. That's for sure. Yeah, it would be hard to keep it onto the zipper, and even then it would tend to transfer from the zipper to the material. Um, other than that, like... For, for oil functional, I'd say it'd be perfectly good. It's just I would try to keep it off the sleeping bag altogether. And if you're going to go with oils, then you might as well literally go back to like the chapstick. Because, I mean, it, it's a waxy substance and I think you get just as much from it. And if it's a scented chapstick, you'll get that nice minty smell to go with it. And I don't know, maybe you've done this. We're a little off topic, but um, they now makes a wax for motorcycle chains. Yes. Uh, I've never used it on a zipper. I've used it in cables and other applications. And uh, I'll throw a brand name out there. Once again, we have no affiliation with them. But like uh, Maximum Chain Wax, I assume is what you're talking about. The uh, kind of gold and black can. Yeah. Yeah, great stuff. It doesn't have as much overspray. It's just sort of stays where it needs to be kind of better than the normal chain loops and oils and stuff. So just something, because when I greased my chains for years... It, 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 the bike used to be a state the next day, honestly. <laughs> and it's just, there's no getting around it. The waxes are a bit better. They're not perfect by any means. No. Waxes have their pluses and minuses, especially in a motorcycle setting. Uh, I don't know how they would work on a zipper. They might be really good. You, do you know they actually make a zipper lube now? I kid you oh. not, I have a tube of it uh, at the fire department for our Mustang rescue suits. Because they got uh-huh. zippers and sometimes, you know, the majority of ice rescues we would do would be in salt water so you got to lubricate the zippers because the salt will get in there and bind i bet it would so i should actually take a picture of that next time I'm down there i'll be down there friday i'll snap a picture uh you can buy this stuff on amazon literally just search zipper lube and it's not overly expensive i think it was four dollars for a three ounce tube or something honestly it's glorified lip chap without any of the medication in it yeah yeah it's just a thought just different things you can do um so i mean that same you know one rolling to the other you know uh get into tents tents tend to have zippers so does hammocks if they got the screens and stuff same deal zippers are one of the spots that they can go bag quick uh and keeping those zippers in good condition can can keep your gear running for a much much longer time there's no doubt about that Oh, I agree. And where we are rolling from one to the other, we got a good pace going tonight, too. We've already been into this for a half hour, and we covered a lot. Uh, let's talk temps, temps, tents, and then straight into hammocks, because that seems like the most logical place to go. Uh, some of these are actually going to be transferable back and forth. Now, I did have tents listed up there, because there is a couple things, believe it or not, you can do with your tent that's going to maintain the life of it. And they're going to sound a little weird, but bear with me on this one. So the first one is, however it goes back into the box, bag, carrying, however you store it, try not to fold it the exact same way every single time that you put it away. Uh, Now, on the flip side of that, always try and dig it out after extended storage and get it aired out. Make sure there's no bugs getting into it. You don't got like moth eggs rolling around in there. A couple moth balls will go a little bit of a ways. But honestly, getting that sucker aired out, let all the wrinkles and stuff come out of it. Nice sunny day is what I do. Even if I don't intend to use it for this year, I pop it up. I let Lily play in it for the day. And while it's popped up, prime time to check all those seams again. Uh, even if it doesn't necessarily need it, seam sealer is really not that expensive. Pick it up, reseal your seams, uh, re-waterproof the, the rain flyer and the outside of it. I like to do that at least once a year, once again, if I'm going to use it or not. I like to get a nice silicone-based um, water repellent or waterproofer or whatever you want to call it. I put on it. Uh, I, I usually do two or three coats. I go a little heavy, but that's just, I mean read the instructions on the can big thing is just get another uh maintain that waterproofing because the reality is if you just buy a tent use it a few times it's going to work great but then as it ages it starts getting uv damage and things like that and 
from being stretched, uh, the fiber will get porous and water will start coming through. If you've got kids, we've all been there. You're laying in the tent. Don't poke the side. I won't. Don't poke the side. I won't. Boop! And the water just starts pouring in. <laughs> Ben's smiling because he's been through this. <laughs> but yeah, it's just I... little things. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, there was a couple things I wanted to add there. Uh, you mentioned a silicone uh, sealant on uh, most um, man-made materials, 100% the way to go. Um, use that for seam sealer, use it to, to treat the overall materials. This um, With more natural materials, cottons, stuff mm -hmm. like that, uh, you're going to want to go back to the wax. Similar idea, um, a little bit of beeswax, rub it on all the stitching and stuff, that'll seal it up. In fact, beeswax will still work on synthetic materials. Uh, for, for a temporary fix while you're out there. Um, so again, if you have it coming through a seam or something, rub that wax onto it. It'll generally give you enough seal again. Once again, through. Lip Chapel seals holes overnight. Oh yeah. No, Just put sure. it on thick, rub it over, clean it up the next day. Um, and you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, one, I want to caution people, don't leave the tent tarp material out in the sun longer than you need to. Mm. Uh, it's great to get it out and use it and stretch it and, and give it that chance. The day to air out in the sun is great. Uh, if you leave it out there for days on end because you're just a too lazy and it's not hurting it, well, the sun does break materials down. UV rays are very damaging. And a lot of these uh, waterproof protectants, and I'm kind of thinking I have one not far away, actually give you a UV protection. Yeah, it's and I should have mentioned that too. I usually do grab a waterproofer with a UV protectant in it. Or... Yeah. So when you buy that can of water, you know, uh, polyester or whatever you know it's silicon based but it's for polyester and nylon most of them have a uv protector and that's a really good thing it's like suntan lotion uh for your your tent right but by, by protecting it, it not only does it make it more waterproof but it gives you a bit more resistance against the sun when you, you do go out that wears away over time so that's why you want to re retreat it but by far in my opinion the absolute most important thing you can do with all this gear is make sure when you put it away for any period of time, it is in clean and dry conditions. Dry being key. Anything put away wet, I don't care what it is. It's going to mold somehow. You put, like, I still have the spice thing here from last week, but you take something like that, you put water in it, the water will eventually mold. It'll turn black in it. You know what I mean? And that's just going to transfer into whatever you got. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to do it. Like, most trips when I get home, uh, as annoying as it is, that it gets hung up it gets hung up and it stays hung up until it's dry and that's that's how it goes if it's a nice day outside it gets hung on the clothesline outside if it's not too nice outside and it gets hung in the basement and i run the dehumidifier until it's dry and that's that's the solution that's how you fix that that thing and, and if you notice it's dirty give it a good wipe down while it's drying because you know it's already damp anyways yep. and because that little bits of dirt, that little bits of sand and stuff, when you start folding it up and putting it away, that rubs away and it wears at your material. And then the seams and the and the creases start to, to thin, and that's when it starts to break down. So protect it from the sun as much as possible. Keep it clean and dry, and then put it away in a clean, dry environment. Don't put it away in a damp environment. So if you can do those things, uh, you know, that gear should last you for a long, long time and, being, you know, in good serviceable condition for years well prime example i bought a tent to take melissa camping and we've told this story i think on one of our couples episodes uh when we were first started dating we still have the same tent and use it pretty much every year but i maintain yeah. it just as i've told you folks today every year gets taken out sunned out a little bit regardless if i plan to use it or not it gets re-waterproofed and uv protected as ben said i check over everything and it goes back away. And I store it in a semi-cool, uh, darkish place. I don't, you know, just leave it in the bag, throw it in front of a window. I put it away in my garage inside a tote. Uh, that way, you know, rodents and stuff can't get to it. That's another important thing to remember with any of your gear. Try and put it away as best you can so nothing can get into it. Uh, and while we're talking tents, while you have it up, good time to check, like, uh, your tent poles and stuff like that. Because they actually sell pole repair kits now. 
And if something's oh, yeah. starting to splinter or the elastic's starting to get a little crusty or something like that, better to change it while you're home in your front lawn and you got all the time in the world to play with it than, to, oh, it'll probably make it one more time. Murphy's Law states it will not make it one more time. Or it might, but you rolled the dice pretty hard. And you'd be surprised how easy it is to find uh, replacement pieces for your fiberglass poles. Um, I have used in the past fiberglass poles from Dollar Store. Yep. Uh, you usually got a little reflector on there. <laughs> they take that off, they get, throw that away. I mean, because the ones you have in your tent are usually only a couple of feet long. I, you know, I've cut them down. Um, I went to Walmart before and bought the same ones. I think they were six something feet long. And there was two or three diameters there. I bought them. It's shockingly for me. When I got up to the store, they were like, yeah, it's 50 cents a piece. And I'm like, man, I should have bought the works. <laughs> so and they have. Sorry, go ahead. I said, sometimes they're not that expensive. Although I think they mispriced those. Sometimes you'll get lucky, but bottom line, it's still cheaper to repair than buy again. I mean, I'm a big advocate for that. I try to make everything last as long as it can. Not because I'm, well, I am kind of cheap, but I'm also very poor. <laughs> We're bushcrafters, man. We don't make money. We spend money. But yeah, uh, maintaining goes a long way. And uh, it's a good time to check if your rain fly and all that still fit. Just just give it a check over. And a lot of the same principles, uh, they'll work for your tarps. Especially if they're synthetic tarps and stuff like that. Same thing. Stretch them out. Check your tie outs. Make sure there's no rips and tears coming in your seams. Use some seam seal sealer. Give them a coat of water repellent and UV protection. Make sure they're good and dry. Fold them back up. Hopefully not the exact same way they came out. Uh, and if you have a choice, and this is my own belief, somebody may tell you otherwise, I like to roll my stuff, try not to have too many sharp edges. Uh, instead of like folding it up into a perfect square, I'll get it in a long kind of short thing and then roll it up. That just keeps a couple less creases. Maybe it's all in my head, I don't know, but if it, it works good for me. I have, I have started to follow my tarps, the push it in a bag method. <laughs> and some tarps tell you to do that right out of the gate. Yeah. That way it never folds the same way twice. It yeah. comes out crinkly as a bugger, but who really cares? It still works exactly the same. Some of my tarps never seem to have made a, a, a difference. Like they still lay as flat and smooth as they ever did. So it's not been an issue. Other things do tend to hold a crease. So just, you know, pay attention to it. But no, uh, you know, when I get them set up nice and taut in a few seconds in the sun, even if they did have the odd crease, that usually cleans them up pretty good um so yeah i mean we covered a, a gambit there uh you mentioned earlier knives so any metal object really mm -hmm. uh, these are some basic treatments i'm sure we, we're going to mention um i got a, a great example here um this is just sitting in my basement right now I haven't had a chance to use it much and i'm going to uh I've just made sure, especially anywhere that's shiny, where it's been, like, filed, I put a little bit of wax on it. Uh, or a light coat of oil. Uh, and in, when you are carrying it in the woods, just, you know, wrap it in, in a, a light cloth. Again, maybe with a, a, some light oil, like maybe a light cooking oil. Uh, something that's not going to damage anything. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like oils. Um so yeah, you got the, uh, what are those called? Those that's a Scotch-eyed bit. Scotch-all. Scotch yeah. Uh, but I mean like axe heads, knife blades, uh, any metal tools you have, you might have like a squirrel roaster or uh, a campfire stick or something like that. Any of that metal, especially if it's exposed metal, a light coat of oil goes a long way. If it's something that you're going to be used for eating, if you're going to be putting it around your mouth or potentially ingesting anything that comes off it, make sure that it's food friendly. And there's lots of food-friendly things out there, both natural and synthetics. Do your research and find the one that works good for you. In a pinch, cooking oil works, as Ben said. You can use tongue oil, walnut oil, peanut oil. Like, I mean, there's a gambit of stuff out there that you can use that'll work perfectly. Uh, that's what I, I like to use coconut oil on my knives. The only thing using some of these natural things, if it's going to be a long period of time in storage, realize some natural materials could go rancid over time. Uh, do a little bit of research on that. We're not going to make any recommendations to there because, like I said, I like to use coconut oil, but coconut oil is one of those things over a long period of time it would go rancid. However, yep. 
if I'm using it, generally it won't be that long. If I take it home, I wipe everything down nice and dry. I put a light coating of a different oil on it and put them in storage. If I'm going to take it out with me, I clean them off. I completely wash them in the sink because I don't know what's been sitting on them while they've been in storage. Like, who knows? Maybe a mouse ran over them, took a pee on it. Honestly, who knows? Scrub yeah. them down good, clean them up. With a light coating of coconut oil, goes in the sheath, goes in my bag, and off we go. Uh, for longer term storage, I have used WD-40, although that does tend to evaporate away, which is a good part and a bad part. The other thing I have used um, is gun oil. Yeah, gun oil works great on axe heads. Or three-in-one oil is another one I use a lot on axe heads. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a light coating, just brush it over, just prevents that surface rust, which honestly is more of an aesthetic problem than anything else surface rust will actually prevent it from rusting worse it forms an oxidized layer that will protect it but looks bad and then when you clean it off you expose new metal and it just rusts again yeah. so the, if you can protect it um that's how you do it um i'll give another suggestion here and i have tried it i'm not great with it um once again, more towards like axes and things like that, potentially not going anywhere near your digestive system. You can blue some metals. You can go down to the hunting section of your local big box mart, look for something called cold bluing. And it yeah. just comes in a bottle. Um, it comes with a little sponge and you wipe it on. Honestly, I've never really liked that method. The method that I preferred was take some paper towel, lay it over whatever you're going to do, and then saturate the paper towel and it holds it in place. I find you get a better even bluing. Uh, even better, if you can do it, dip it in the bluing solution and just let it sit and it'll turn right dark and it puts a coating over the metal and it'll keep it from rusting and oxidizing and stuff like that. Downside of it is bluing is very hazardous to your health. Would not want to ingest it. It's a little dirty to work with. Smells a little funky. So once again, if it's something you want to try with, I encourage it. It works good depending on the situation. Read the directions using a well-vented area, all that good stuff. That yeah, definitely works. Um, oh, and I guess the last thing on knives and axes, put them away sharp. A lot of people tend to not put them away sharp or, oh, I'll get to it later. They forget about it. They take it out. And now you're working with a dull instrument. Or at least 100% make sure you sharpen it before you take it out and put it back into use. Uh, sharp objects tend to cause less problems. You get... F <laughs> Depending. <I> agree. <laughs> um, yeah, uh couple of other things especially let's go and look at axes if they have a sheath um leaving them in the sheath isn't a problem necessarily but if there's moisture in the sheath it's gonna that moisture stuck with the axe head or whatever so do make sure that both the sheath or face or whatever you want to call it is in good working condition and is properly treated again if it's a leather sheath on top of it that leather treatment will actually keep the moisture and stuff out of it and it helps protect the knife that's inside of it over the long term. But if you put it away damp, when you come back, you may be lucky to get them apart. <laughs> and when you do, you'll find that both are in less condition than you left. Hopefully. And with leather and axe heads, a little bit of mink oil on your axe head before you put it in the leather sheath, not going to yeah. hurt anything. No. Uh, you know, and I can't stress this enough. I was out this weekend and I happened to see a guy running around with an axe with no face on his axe and it it really bothered me uh a lot of people have come out of the woods seriously injured for walking around with an axe that is not properly covered if you have an axe in your possession and it's not being used to cut wood it should have something protective over its face i don't i don't care how long you've been in the woods i don't care how safe you think you are it's it's a risk uh and just wandering around in the woods poor man's sheath uh and i we use this all the time at dnr this is actually where i got the the idea from it piece of hose cut oh, a yeah. piece of hose the length of your edge split it put it over bicycle tube or ranger band if you want to call it one's the same as the other honestly and you just attach it over it so you put your tube over the uh the cutting face or sorry put your hose over the cutting face tube around the whole thing that holds it together protected edge Oh yeah, works great. I've seen, honestly, I've seen a rag and duct tape work an awesome job too. Just anything that's going to sit over that blade and keep that sharp blade from coming into contact with yourself or anything that's just going to dull and damage it. Protecting that 
blade just is is protection for both the blade and yourself. So uh, it's same surprising thing how bad you damage the edge just tossing it around if it's not yeah. actually like I'm guilty for that when I'm splitting wood outside. I'll go to drop the axe, drop it right on a rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Uh, hey Gary, just seen you jumped into the uh, comments there, Old Bastard Outdoors. If anybody's looking for another good uh, channel for some outdoorsy stuff, John? check his out. What's that? John. Old Bastard Outdoors? Sean. Sean. Sorry. I said Gary, didn't I? <laughs> you did. Sorry. <laughs> Sean joined us in the comments there. But anyway, um, yeah, check out his channel too. A lot of great stuff there. Good guy too. I, I haven't had the chance to do go out in an adventure with him, but I believe you have been. Oh, I've been out a few with it. I thought you guys actually had a few adventures under your belts now, but... Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I seriously hope there's a few more to come. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, let's keep going right on. We're talking knives, axes. We talked about the metal parts. Now, what about the wooden parts? Yes, uh, a lot of people, wood. they'll take the time, they'll polish up an axe head, it'll have a nice mirror finish on, it'll be perfectly maintained, and then the handle just looks shoddy as hell. There is am, some things you can do to maintain a handle. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. I am a big proponent of linseed oil. Um, so, uh, yeah, axe handles, uh, wooden knife handles. I have a few knives with wooden handles. The yoke on your canoe. Anything wood that you're taking in should be treated also. Um, I'm not a big proponent of necessarily painting your wood off knives that'll damage it and it traps moisture inside if it ever gets in and it'll rot your wood quicker uh but a good uh linseed oil is probably my favorite mm -hmm. although by no means the only solution to this problem but yeah getting some kind of protective oil or something into your wood it's a bit more maintenance than painting but makes the world a good and it, it you know once you get a few layers in uh it protects your, your wood from moisture from damage it, it makes it better in my in my opinion no i am a huge fan of linseed oil um it, it just works in all wood so it soaks in uh it is organic so anytime you're dealing with it of course make sure if you're using a rag to wipe it in don't ball the rag up and throw it in the corner and all that you know disclaimer inserted here but yeah. linseed oil works magic on wood. It really soaks into it gives it a nice deep protection something else i've used works great not the best option, honestly, but if it's all you got, believe it or not, you can drill a little hole. Actually, let me back up. I used to work in logging camps back when I was a kid and stuff like that. And this was an old timer trick that was told to me. And I, once again, have followed it faithfully. If you're out and doing a lot of cold weather camping and stuff, the windsuit oil is going to help with this as well because it's uh, an organic compound. But... If you have frosting a lot, and that potentially you can get frosting on a handle, it makes it slippery, especially if you're using gloves and things like that. What I was told was drill a hole in the bottom of your handle, maybe two, three inches, fill it with diesel fuel. Leave the axe handle upside down, let it soak down through it. It'll base drastically reduce the frosting problem. And honestly, in my experience, it's kind of true. Don't know why, but it, it's kind of true. I, I don't know if maybe the oil soaks in on the inside and it drives all the moisture out that we can't build frost. I've come up with lots of hypotheses. I don't know why it's exactly true, and I don't really like using diesel fuel in axe handles and stuff like that. But if it's a store-bought axe handle, I really don't care. I can buy another one. And I do that to all my splitting axes out there because a lot of times I'm splitting wood in, like, minus 20 weather. So frost is always an option, and I, I've never had frosted handles. The other thing that I'll do on the outside is... You know, over time, they're going to develop chips, nicks, and things like that. If you need to sand it or take out some splinters or something like that, make sure you reseal the entire handle. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you you can usually tell when you've been using wood for a while and you look at it and it kind of looks dried out and it feels a little bit rougher than you think it should. Uh, that's the hint. It's time to retreat it. Um, so I was out looking at my canoe the other day and I was like, man... That yoke, when I made it, looked pretty awesome. But now it's kind of looking a little faded and a little bit old. I went out, I got some linseed oil, just a little bit on a rag, rubbed it over, and it looked a million times better instantly. Like that, just that little bit. Just keep an eye on it. It doesn't take long for it to, to start to look bad. When it does, just give it that wipe, and it'll last for a fair length of time before you have to give it another one. And each layer, in my opinion, just puts that oil a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, 
and it eventually become more saturated. But that, you know, just through weather, moisture, temperature changes, some of that oil just dissipates, and then you just want to reapply. Yeah. Everything evaporates over time. It's just how long it's going to take, and it'll dissipate. Uh, oh, God, I had a point I was going to say, and it just went out the window. If I think of it, I'll come back to it. Um, did you hear, like with an axe, a painted axe handle will shave your hands quicker than an unpainted one? Yes, and thank you for reminding me what I was going to say. Much like painted surfaces, varnished surfaces act exactly the same way. Stain, not so bad. It soaks in. I don't like it as much as natural oils like linseed oil. That is my go-to, much like Ben, much like Steve from the comments. A lot of bushcrafters going to tell you to go with linseed oil. One, it's cheap. Two, it works good. And it lasts yeah. forever. Like, you can keep a can of linseed oil around literally until the end of time. It's probably not going to deteriorate that much. But anyway, yeah, uh, I, I do not touch anything that's varnished. I don't like it. It's just slippery. Uh, if it gets wet, that axe will shoot out of your hand and either hurt yourself or somebody else. Painted, like, especially if it's like a polished paint or uh, not a polished paint, a high gloss paint, something like that. Looks good. It's great for putting on your wall. Becomes completely impractical for use, in my opinion. I, so. I have seen a lot of YouTubers, and when I've seen it, I thought, man, this makes a lot of sense from what I've seen over the years. They will literally go out and buy a metal scraper and scrape every bit of varnish and paint off their axe handle before they use it. Yep. They, they will not handle it. And they, they complain, and they've actually I've seen them write places like Husqvarna and um, what's the other big one that everyone seems to want these days, that Grand Forest, and complain that they varnish their axe handles. And they do. A lot of them do. And it's because it makes it rough on hand. But what does it do? It protects it and makes it look good. So in the store, when you walk by, it's like, that's a nice handle. Sure it is. It's nice. It's painted cool. It's, but honestly, you pull that off and then uh, put a good linseed oil or a good good treatment onto it. You'll have ten times the axe handle, in my opinion, and it'll last longer. I agree. I think it lasts a lot longer and it keeps moisture from going in. As your paint and stuff scratches, uh, it just adds places for water where it can seep in and start rotting your wood. Linseed oil, if it scratches it, it buried itself into that wood for a, a ways. Uh, it just offers better protection. It's almost kind of self-healing to a degree. Now, I have heard, and I, and I may be wrong on this one, see if you've heard it, that if your axe handle is getting loose, the soak in a little bit of uh, antifreeze. Uh, not antifreeze, um, oil, um, engine cooling. You know what I'm talking about. That would be antifreeze. Yeah, antifreeze. <laughs> a little bit, of that, a little bit of antifreeze on the end. It's, it soaks up and swells the head. It doesn't have the same. Um, I, I've heard different things. Um, I, I haven't heard the antifreeze. That's mostly alcohol, glycol, and a few other things. Glycol. That's the one. Glycol. Um, I, I'd be scared that would evaporate and further dry the wood. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I know there's other lubricants and stuff in antifreeze because uh, it has to lubricate the water pump. I've also heard of soaking it in kerosene, which, once again, if you're going to be using an axe around wood and sparks and things like that, I don't know how I feel about that. But I've heard about soaking it in a couple different things to re-swell the head. And the idea is soak it in something that's going to swell it and not dry back out. So, I haven't heard the uh, glycol before. I have heard other things, and I just... I don't have any experience with it, honestly. Generally, if the head of my axe is starting to shrink uh, and the head is moving, I will try and spread the wedge a little bit more. And if it's past that point, it's generally time for me to replace the handle. Yeah, no, I agree. But something I've heard, short-term solution to a, to a longer-term problem, really, because if it's starting to get loose, it means the wood's all dried out and it's starting to fail anyways. But that's something I'd heard. Um, and I think it is something that's a temporary solution. I think you do have to keep doing that uh, more and more. So once you start, it'll be an issue. But I worked with a fellow that literally soaked the axe, his axe head in a bucket of water every night and then went to work with it for the day. We used to do lines, like American <laughs> Crown lines and stuff like that. Same thing. The axe head would always get loose. So he'd just be like, oh, I'll just soak that in water overnight. And then that's what he was doing every night. So not only what it, it worked. But now he was like soaking that metal in water. Anyway, like you said, it's a it's a bandaid on a bullet wound. Yeah. <laughs> but get you to the woods type deal, you know. Yep, and that's yeah. the thing. And depending um, on the type of wood, it, it, it depends on how bad this will happen to. Like ash, 
Uh, it's a very grainy wood. It'll soak up a lot of water. It expands a lot when it uh, gets wet, shrinks a lot when it dries out. Hickory, it's one that really doesn't contract or grow a whole lot depending on how much moisture is in it. So you're going to have to see what works for you. I like a hickory handle on a splitting axe. I don't like it on a pole axe, like what I would take into the woods. So you're going to develop your preferences over time, but be aware the type of wood is going to play a little bit of in your maintenance. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, same thing with anything, especially carbon, uh, carbon steel. Mm. Definitely, you know, keep the corrosion off of it and keep it oiled. Uh, the stainless steels and stuff, you can get away with a lot more, but I don't care what you say, all those materials will rust if not taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have seen stainless steel corrode, especially if left around salt water and not, not protected. So. And it doesn't have to be steel. Don't think that if you have something like aluminum tent pegs and things like that, you're completely out of the water. Oh. Aluminum can still corrode. Copper can still corrode. Like it can all still oxidize in some method. That's where a little bit of oil is going to come in. It's going to put yeah. a, a protective coating over it. So even like your tent pegs, stuff like that, a white coat of oil isn't going to hurt any of that stuff. No. Unless no. it specifically says do not oil, then don't oil. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are some, like carbon, I have seen some weird crap, like carbon fiber steaks. Not sure why, but you know what? You wouldn't have to oil those. No, don't. Um... So is there any other big things? I mean, we covered a lot of a lot of stuff. We've covered shelters. Uh, we've covered um, metal and wood tools. We've covered sleeping bags, um, leather in general, which would be same thing for your boots and stuff if you have boots. Um, There's only two more things I really want to quickly touch on, and neither one's going to take very long. I want to talk for two seconds about cookware and two seconds maybe on your pack. And honestly, most of it is going to be looking it over. For cookware, depending on what you have for cookware, um, just make sure it's clean. Being clean is going to help a long way with most of your cookware in its longevity. Much like all your gear, the cleaner and better you maintain stuff, the longer it's going to serve you. So just make sure your cookware is clean before you put it away. Uh, If you're cooking on an open fire, you tend to get a lot of tarnish on the bottom off it and soot and stuff like that. Especially if you're using softwood, you'll get that like tarry soot that sticks on it. Something that cleans that really good, especially if it's stainless steel. I don't know about titanium. Ben can weigh in on this. Grab a little charcoal from your fire pit once it goes out and just give it a scrub with that with some water and it'll peel all that right off. Charcoal is an amazing cleaner. Yeah. So, Or once you get home, use something that's a little better. But if you're in the woods, like I did it when you and I wrote, Ben. Uh, Anytime I use my cook set, I would grab a little bit of charcoal, crush it up, a little bit of water, make a paste, scrub the bottom of my pants, take all the soot off it, and then... You know, they're cleaner to put away. One, it's not going to mess up everything in my bag. Two, it's just cleaner. The cleaner it is, the better it's going to cook for you the next time. If you leave that film on, over time it will build up, and you will develop hot spots and stuff in your cook cookware. Yeah. Um, another thing that I would suggest is every time you come home, no matter how good you think you cleaned that in the woods, uh, take a couple of minutes and give it a good cleaning in your, in your sink at home. with uh, Because... Oftentimes in the woods without like a, a proper sink and proper soap and proper everything else, you build up a thin film of, of oil on a lot of your dishes from cooking. And it won't take long sitting in, in storage to come back and have that little fuzzy mold growing on it. And I've seen it and uh, it's disgusting yeah. and you'll, you'll almost want to just toss your gear right there. It's like, no, I'm done. But no, you can't clean it off, but yeah, if you take that few extra seconds when you get home, pull your gear out, give it a good washing and wipe down, because you don't know what, you know, how clean it truly is while you're in the woods. That'll give that'll give you that warm and fuzzy uh, instead of making you... <laughs> instead like, of just being fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, yeah, no, that's for sure. Um, and one thing, I'm just going to throw in this in there with the cook. Uh, water filters. Um, mm. Take a few minutes to dry them out as best as possible. I know it doesn't seem like it's an easy thing to do, um, but yeah, you can blow a little bit of light air through them or something like that, and they'll dry them out pretty quick. Uh, Especially like the Sawyers and stuff like that. This time of year, if they freeze, they're useless. Not only because water won't go through them, but when water does go through them again, you broke all those little tubules. It's not holding back the bacteria and stuff like it's supposed to. It's just free-flowing through. 
Um, so next you want to talk about like backpacks and things? Just a quick mention on backpacks. To me, it's a very overlooked piece of gear and almost one of the most important pieces of gear because it carries all your other gear. And much like your tent, check and make sure your straps aren't frayed, being chafed, cut, things like that. Make sure your stitching's not coming out if it's a canvas or something like that or waterproof in any kind of way. Just keep that up. Once again, clean it out and know what's in the bag. Don't just have random stuff sitting at the bottom of your bag, chafe it away that you don't even know it's there. And at the same token, don't have a handful of sand sitting at the bottom off an Eaton Wage bag either. Literally, cleaning your gear is the number one maintenance you can do to any of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the only other thing with that, if you notice stitching is starting to get a little bit weak, things are starting to open up a little bit, that is the time to to add a few more stitches. That is the time to reinforce that that point. That's a point that's taken a bit more stress than it was designed to, and that's the time to fix it. Don't wait till it's finally ripped and let go, because then the damage may be done more than you can truly repair. But a few stitches here and there can make the difference between a piece of gear lasting you another two or three years and not making it through the next trip. 100% agreed. Uh, catching early, repairing early, keeping clean, and uh, cleaning after you're done. Honestly, just take that to all, everything we just said. Those are your go-tos. Everything else is just kind of specialized for what the piece of item is. And I think everyone should, just, just as a maintenance thing, keep a couple of needles and a few pieces of thread in your first aid kit or in your maintenance kit if you have a maintenance kit. Uh, I tend to try and keep a little maintenance kit with my gear. I don't uh, depending on the trip, and I, I take a little bit more or a little bit less, but I generally try to take at least some of this. I have a little tube of water, you know, waterproof or a little patch kit for my tarps and stuff and some sewing uh, stuff because almost every piece of gear I have from your backpack to your shirt to your pants to, you know, you can sew repair. So having that stuff with you and getting it that while it's when it's fresh and new, um, the damage, not the gear, can mean making that gear, making it out and lasting many more trips, or just getting progressively worse to the point when you get out that you have no gear. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had, maybe you have had like a strap on a backpack go on a trip? The one that kills me is the stupid little plastic buckles the straps always go through. Especially like the clips and stuff. I've gotten into the habit of trying to look for metal replacements on all of those pieces almost immediately after buying something. Or making sure it's very heavy-duty plastic. That's the part that always kills me. And I was guilty for, like, you know, the, the clips where it's like, you got the female end and the male end, and it'll go in when it has the two tongs. One tongs broke, and I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll last with one. Or the female end, it's like split on one side, and you put some tape right. I have cobbled stuff together way more than i ever should have and honestly it's easier just to fix it because you're anything you cobble together and just make work you're constantly just making it work instead of just replacing it and it just works yeah um that being said uh an easy piece of gear to keep in for a lot of those clips is a carabiner yep or a split ring uh yep you know, and your key ring you can often replace one of those pieces with those kind of pieces of gear, it's a temporary fix, but it gets you out of the woods to do a proper fix. So just keep in mind stuff like that. Um, another piece of gear, good maintenance piece of gear, or or get you out is a few wraps of duct tape in your gear. Um, and I think everyone probably knows the little trick of wrapping it around itself a few times, and you can have like five, six feet of duct tape, and it doesn't have to take that much room. I was going to say, if you don't have a Bic lighter that's wrapped in duct tape, are you a real you outdoors person? <laughs> or you haven't learned your lesson yet, one of the two. Yeah. But uh, a few pieces of equipment like that, so you can do that maintenance in the woods. Uh, a small tube of oil, uh, a little tube of Vaseline. Vaseline will do a good job in a lot of places. Just be careful because some materials will break down with Vaseline. Yes. Uh, can be used to prevent corrosion, seal something for a period of time, uh, or just loop something up. Things like that. Um, I think most people carry at least one candle in your pack. Just remember that candles, like a good eight-hour candle, literally lasts eight hours. and can produce heat stuff for eight hours, but it's also wax you can seam seals with. 
uh, lube zippers, things like that, uh, and protect your gear. Nope, I agree. And honestly, we could probably talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, but I think that's probably just as good a spot as any. So we're yeah, yeah. we kept it pretty concise this time. This was a good episode. We didn't ramble. Not a lot of stories. Uh, for anybody that's new to us, this is generally not how we... <laughs> we're a little bit more laid back and storytelling kind of peoples with the podcast. But this episode went pretty good, I believe. Uh, how about you folks out there? We'd love to hear some of the uh, maintenance ideas you folks have. Anything we talked about? Do you think it's complete rubbish? Do you have better ideas? We'd love to hear from you too. As always, you can get a hold of us on the Atlantic Bushcraft website down there or any of our social medias. Uh, any of our stuff, just shoot us a message, shoot us an email, whatever the case may be. Uh, we love to hear from you. So we do get messages from time to time. Uh, occasionally we get, um, some interesting stories and things like that. So by all means, send them in. We love to hear from, them. maybe we can make an episode out of some of that stuff sometimes. Well, sometimes to get stories that you guys had to go camping with you. So like, <laughs> as Steve knows, if you ever get out with us, the stories <laughs> tend to start flowing. Right around the time the drinks stop, start flowing pretty good. <laughs> wow, I don't drink. What are you having? <laughs> I was perfectly normal the first night we were out. <laughs> okay. Talk to y'all later. Night all. We'll see you next week. <laughs>